Hey again, guys. You are listening to the Simple Electronics Podcast, and I'm your host, Another Maker. We have a very special guest with us this week. Some say the reason you never see his face is that he and Big Clive are actually the same person. And that his mat is actually blue, but he hasn't figured out how to set the colors on his camera. He is Simple Electronics. Welcome, Simple. Wow, that was a great intro. <laughs> Thanks. That was fantastic. And uh, yeah, there's a little bit of truth in that. If uh, if you look at my thumbnails, the mat changes colors pretty much every single thumbnail. <laughs> nice, nice. I thought it'd be kind of fun if the world got to hear you being interviewed. And so in the event that somehow someone has miraculously stumbled across this podcast and has no idea who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, geez. Um, me. Who the heck would want to hear about me anyways? Um, <laughs> well, I'm just some dude um, in Canada. I'm basically, um, I guess, a professional automotive technician would be the right term, but a mechanic for the layperson. I am also a contract professor teaching the automotive trade at a college. And I happen to uh, have a YouTube channel in neither of those specialties. So, yeah, that's me. So with all those different hats you wear, what does a typical day look like for Mr. Simple Electronics? Well, um, being a contract employee, uh, there's no like typical day. I can, I guess I can, I can sort of imagine one. So typically um, my day is like sort of taken over by what I have to do on that very day. So if it's a teaching day, which is uh, five days a week, I am pretty much getting my courses ready or getting my, I guess, my, my knowledge right, like getting all the last finishing touches on uh, on the stuff for my students. Then I go to school, yell at students for a couple hours, trying to make sure they don't kill themselves, and then head home, kick my shoes off, uh, watch some YouTube, record some YouTube, or do some editing, and then, um, yeah, go to bed around, you know, 10 if I haven't fallen asleep by then. If it's a day that I have um, my my regular work, my, my automotive technician work, then basically the whole day is just automotive work. And when I get home, I'm just so exhausted that I'll typically only do the watch YouTube part. I won't, um, I won't really do a lot after work because uh, I'm usually spent by then. And um, if it's my day off, well, then I'm probably, you could probably find me watching YouTube or playing video games with my wife, uh, which is Ferroac. She has a streaming channel and a YouTube channel and she does art, she does all sorts of stuff. So that's kind of like what my day looks like. Interesting. So I, I was thinking about it, you were talking about yelling at the kids uh, or the students. What, what kind of stuff do you have to yell at them about? Well, um, I've been using yelling kind of um, literally, like these days since COVID started, basically I have to literally yell because they have to stay sort of six feet apart. And in a workshop, there's a lot of noise, like our HVAC system makes a lot of noise. Uh, we have lots of echoing walls. We have like equipment starting up and stopping. So I literally have to like increase my voice so they can hear me. So I'm literally yelling at them. But I think what you're asking is like what kinds of things that I have to do or have to tell them to make sure that they stay safe. Well, right. at the moment, I'm working with um, sort of new entrants to the trade, people who have never worked in a, in a shop. We're sort of teaching them 
how it works in a shop so that when they start working, they'll keep their job. Basically, it's to set them up to be successful in the trade. So, and I mean, that's literally like, like taking a screwdriver, being like, this is a screwdriver. You know, there's different ends to the screwdriver and whatever. So it's really people who like have no clue about any of that because they had no guidance in it or they had no interest or whatever. That's the program basically I'm doing now. So, I mean, I can, I can tell you some, some, some stories like, uh, for example, after eight weeks of, of teaching them how to kind of act around cars and whatever, I still had two students that tried to remove the wheel off of the car without even lifting it off the ground. <laughs> yeah. But wow. and, yeah, and it's hard really to put, put yourself in the position of a person who, who can't think through those steps, but it's just like, you know, if you had a bad day in your math class, you might totally fail a math test. But if you have a bad day in a, in a shop like that, you can end up killing somebody. So, so, you know, figuratively I have to yell at them. I have to make sure that they know exactly what's going on and they're not endangering themselves. I don't, I don't yell specifically for that, but I, I mean, yelling figuratively. And then I have to yell literally because they can't hear me because they're across the shop, yeah. you know? So those are, yeah. that's what I mean by yelling at people. Yeah, there's a thousand ways to kill yourself in a shop. In Alaska, we had a uh, a tire chi- a tire changing device that we called the Widowmaker. It was from the had to be late '70s, early '80s, and uh, none of the safety features that you have. And it just there's just this amazing amount of force used to take a tire off of a rim. And uh, and every once in a while, the little pry bar thing would just come flying. And I had it fly out and uh, and break a rib um, when that thing flew off. It's it's there's just a, a thousand ways to hurt yourself in a shop I, I have a question so you teach you teach something that i would imagine you have a mix of people who are straight out of high school and people who are coming back as a second career is that true yeah absolutely and we've got some students right out of high school but i think the vast majority of them are relatively new canadians actually they've they've just immigrated here not too long ago they have uh, really good skill sets from their home countries that are not recognized here so they're looking for work and um, basically, my program is an initiative by the government. The government's paying the college, and I and the college pays me. Basically, we built a program to get anybody who has no experience in in a in a garage setting comfortable in a garage setting to you know get and keep a job. And so, yeah, I think we ha- we have a good mix, but mostly it's like new Canadians or or Canadians that haven't been here very long, and they just. They have, they can find employment because, I mean, these people have skills and talents, but I guess they're looking for sort of, um, like a, like a skilled trade, basically. Instead of working at Walmart with their, their skill sets, we want them working in, in skilled environments where skills are necessary. And especially in ones that have a skilled deficit, like right now, the automotive trade, there's not a lot of people getting into it. So basically, we're taking these people that have the capabilities to excel and we're setting them up to excel, basically. Interesting. I like that. I really do. I have a question. So then when you think about the students that are coming in there, I just to take a step back, I taught at the middle school and high school level several several times over the years. And uh, I was pretty amazed the last time I went back uh, how that generation was really struggling with thinking through problems like you're talking about. Are you seeing that with some of your younger students that are really uh, 
lacking some of the, at least the built-in ability to solve problems on their own? Oh, hell no. Oh, really? I, okay. I, You're not seeing that? No, I, I actually, it's funny because uh, I actually went to university as an as a adult, basically. I went to university, um, I guess, several years ago now, but um, I found that I couldn't keep up. My, my mental uh, acuity um, and my problem-solving skills were not even close to the ones from the generations, like basically a half generation lower than me. These 18 and 19-year-olds were able to think circles around me. I think the lazy millennial quote-unquote um, trope is just that. I think it's just a trope. It really depends on the people you hang out with. But I'll tell you, at least in my program, in the classes I was, I, I was in, that was not representative. Like these, these students were even to the, they were thinking deeply enough to the point where they were challenging the authority of the university. They were hmm. wondering how come they're spending all this money when all the information is available online. They would do the lectures that the professors were, were giving them, but then they were going to places like open forums and, um, Wikipedia and YouTube to actually find the meaning behind those papers instead of coming into class and have the professor do it. So basically they were like one step ahead of the professor and I'm seeing the same thing on the shop floor. Um, my younger students, a lot of them had independent interests and they went and they like them with their parents, they bought a, like a really crappy car and they started rebuilding them together. It was like a father-son or father-daughter bonding thing. So they were like, why do I need the system when I can just learn on my own? That's fantastic. And, and I will say my last experience teaching I know is a little colored because of the fact that um, I was teaching coding and electronics and it was at a relatively small school that had the same electives over and over again. And when I was teaching it, it was sort of the new elective. So a lot of people that didn't have actual interest in that uh, in that subject still signed up for the class. And then when they got there, they realized, well, I really don't care about electronics and coding. So I know that that definitely makes a difference. This generation, man, I think about it. They have access to all of the world's knowledge just right in their pocket. And that's just so mind blowing. When I first started working on cars, uh, you know, the first, uh, I had a girl ask me if I could change her alternator in college. And I literally had no idea what an alternator was. But one of the things my dad taught me was that if somebody put it together, I can take it apart. And so, you know, I bought a new alternator and I went down there and I looked in the car. I was like, oh, hey, that's what an alternator is. And I took it off and I changed it. Uh, you know, we didn't have a YouTube channel that we could look up. And uh, just the fact that they have, you know, this level of access to knowledge is, is pretty mind blowing. So that's good. That makes me feel pretty hopeful for the future. I have more hope in the future than I do in the, in the, in the present. I think once these, uh, I don't mean, I struggle, I call them kids. They're not, they're not kids. They're like, uh, 18 plus they're just young to me, but I honestly think the world's going to be in good hands when they start taking power. And I honestly, I believe that, uh, politicians should age out. Like I feel like uh, at a yeah. certain age enough is enough and let's get some new blood in there. Yeah, I could see that. 
So I, I do have a question. I've listened to your other podcasts and I've heard you talk. Uh, I wasn't even really planning on talking about automotive stuff, but you always have interesting things to say. But I've, I've heard you talk about the automotive industry and stuff like this. And, and assuming your students would never hear this, uh, would you recommend someone go into the automotive technical trades in 2021? Well... I don't have a soundbitey answer for that, and actually, I could answer it even assuming that my students hear it, because my opinion isn't really any different. I would say at this very moment right now, uh, so December 2020, the automotive industry is not great. The automotive industry is undergoing a downward spiral where it requires a lot of knowledge to do what to do my job, like, I guess, to, to be an automotive technician, to fix cars. It requires a lot of skills, a lot of knowledge, a lot of dedication, a lot of tools, a lot of expense. However, the tools, or, or I should say the salaries, let me just restart that. However, the salaries haven't kept up with the times. So I know my situation is not everybody's situation, but at the shop where I work, I've been making the same hourly wage since 2011, I think. So nine years without a raise. Not great. However, the industry will hit a breaking point at some point. Just at my shop alone, we hire basically anybody because there's a, there's a lack of skilled people. And typically those people don't keep their jobs for very long because they're terrible. There's really a lack of good qualified technicians. And once there's enough exodus out of the trade, like we've already seen, then the trade will be forced to change. The, the trade will be forced to accept that we need somebody with a very specific skill set to do the job. And then the salaries will have to follow because you won't be able to find anybody. So just for an example, um, Junk from Work, where he, he lives in like the north of British Columbia, Canada, and because there is nobody there, like it's a small town, there's nobody there. His shop pays something along the lines of like the mid 40s per hour, whereas mm. I'm in, in the high 20s. So just his situation is that there's nobody living there. My situation is that everybody, that's what everybody pays and that's what everybody makes. But eventually, when they won't be able to find anybody to fill the, the ranks, the salaries will have to go up industry-wide there's no choice so i would say yeah. right now is a good time to get started because you're going to catch all the older people that are exiting out of the trade they're just going to dump all their knowledge on you they're generally like car nerds they just want to talk about what they've learned and how they've how they've done things and and all this stuff so you're going to absorb all that knowledge they're going to get fed up and leave and then the industry is going to change with only you the fresh licensed technician left in it basically so i would say now is a good time to enter it's not a good time to be sort of like where i am hmm. and i would say overall the types of skills that you're learning i mean even the simple thing working on cars you know i always used to try to to get the part out taking the minimal number of parts off the car to do it and you know over time you learn just take the dang fender off you know just go ahead and, and bite the bullet and 
make it easier on yourself or things like that. Just learning to go through and solve those problems and, and efficient ways to do things and just how to use tools and, and break things down into smaller steps. Even if you go through the entire automotive uh, program and then eventually find yourself in a different trade, I still think those type of skills are sorely needed. Oh, they are. Problem solving, breaking down into smaller steps. These are all things that will make you a good programmer, that'll make you a good plumber, that'll make you a good lawyer. Like it's it's all it's all unique. Like of course, like I believe that if I were to do it again, I would definitely not do automotive. I would do something easier, um, like that pays more, I should say. Something like being an electrician or something. But at the same time, I don't really have any regrets because I am who I am today because of the problem-solving skills I got from being an automotive tech, I guess. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, I'll uh, I'll stop talking automotive for a little while. And uh, I'm sure most of the people on your channel know that you're from Canada. And uh, I'd say at least four or five of my top 10 favorite YouTubers are all from Canada. And I want to know, what do you think it is about Canada that produces so much great YouTube content? I'm not sure if being Canadian is really part of it. I feel like um, I can tell you as a Canadian, we don't we don't see ourselves separate from Americans. I guess like if you're, um, I guess if you're like in Australia, right, you kind of feel like you're on an island. This is your island. This is your land. But as a Canadian, like we feel really close to our American neighbors. Yeah. We, we really feel like, like when we see a, a movie and there's an American in it, we don't think, wow, that's so foreign, right? It's, it's normal. Um, and honestly, uh, you know, this is why we care so much about U.S. problems and U.S. politics and U.S. Um, victories. Like, for example, it's not uncommon around here to talk about the latest um, latest things that Tesla is doing or or um, what's his uh, what's his rocket company Space, there? SpaceX. SpaceX. You know, we, we talk about what Tesla and SpaceX and the Boring Company is doing all the time because we feel like we're sort of part of it right where i mean sure we we don't like we don't own the snowblower but we, we we can talk about it with our neighbors that does that does own it you know what i mean so I, I feel like when it comes to making youtube content we don't see ourselves separate from americans so i'm not sure that being canadian has like an effect on sort of like what we do and on top of that i mean i've never met an american face to face or in a chatting way that I didn't like, you know, it's, it's a meme that, that Americans are like sort of individualistic gun toting and whatever. But honestly, there, I've never met a, a, I've never met a bad American. And I guess it's because it's a self-selecting group, the people that I, I chat with, but yeah, never met one. And I didn't, I didn't like, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I would say if I had to take a guess, I would say that in general, you know, and, and like you said, you've met mostly nice Americans. And I think Canadians are are generally really nice. And, and I think that uh, I will say that especially compared to the Northeast where I'm from, I would say that even the pace of just talking and explaining things, uh, you know, you and Pile of Stuff and Gadget Reboot, you, 
I, I would say that in general, I've noticed you guys are a little bit uh, more deliberate in what you say, and uh, and 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 I think that's extremely helpful when you're explaining things, uh, stuff like that. But I, you know, and it, it could also be you know having having long cold winters, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, little things like that, you know, just little differences and stuff like that. But anyway, yeah, I just love a lot of the Canadian YouTube channels. That's uh, interesting so. that you say something about like the deliberate way we speak, because I mean, I see the same things off of uh, you and like Harry's um, YouTube channel, for example. Like, I, I guess I don't really, again, as a Canadian, we don't really see the difference. There are some things that Canadians will put their foot down to be like, no, no, this is uniquely Canadian. But, um, yeah. but no, I feel like, like communicators, like even like if you look at, uh, the, the big communicators from, from the U.S., like the ones that affect me would be like Neil deGrasse Tyson and um, what's his name? Uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, for example. Like they're very deliberate in the way they speak too. So I'm not sure that's a Canadian thing. Yeah, might not be. Just curious. Yeah. Interesting though. So I have some questions about electronics and YouTube, but um, one of the things that I was most excited about doing this interview is the opportunity to help your audience get to know you on a more personal level. So I put together a couple of questions. They're you know nothing too deep, nothing too scary, but just outside of the area of YouTube and stuff like that to start with. And the first one, we'll do a couple food type questions. What is your favorite restaurant? I know you're not a Tim Hortons guy. No. Nobody's a Tim Hortons guy. <laughs> My favorite restaurant. So that's a tough one because um, we don't – well, my wife and I – I have to speak in my, my wife and I because we're both very cheap people, don't like to spend money. <laughs> and honestly, it's been good because I don't really have any money to spend. Um, however, I am a big pizza guy. Okay. So here in Ottawa, apparently – it's uh, there's two types of food that I really love that are only found in this area. So hmm. one of which is uh, pizza. And by that, I mean Lebanese style pizza. So we have a large Lebanese population that came and settled in Ottawa, where I'm where I live. And I think it's because certain Lebanese people, they they know Arabic as their first language and they know French as their second and because we're so close to the Quebec-Ontario border where, where I am, where Quebec is primarily French, Ontario is bilingual, a lot of them have settled here in Ottawa, I guess, because they figure their French is going to be useful here, I, I suppose. Mm. I really don't know. I was born here, so I don't know why you would pick here. I have no idea. But they have a way of making pizza, which is... If you think of a New York style pizza, it's completely the opposite of, of what we have. And if you think of a Chicago deep dish, it's completely the opposite. So it's somewhere in the middle. It's a little bit thicker okay. crust, a lot more generous on toppings, very greasy, very salty, very awesome. So there's a little joint um, that I know of basically in a small part of town, actually a rough part of town, let I think about it, but it's called Eastview Pizza. I would say that is the best pizza, hands down, any place I have ever been. And listeners, I've been to New York City. I've tried four different pizza places. All of them were recommended and number one at some point or another. They are not as good. So if you ever come to visit Ottawa, take a little trip down um, from downtown. It's like 
15 minutes, 10 minutes by car, something like that, go try Eastview Pizza. So that's, that's one thing. That's, that's the, that's one restaurant. The other food, because I'm going to make this all about food, I guess, uh, that we have the most here is shawarma. So shawarma Mm. is again, it's an Arabic dish. It's made all over the world. However, apparently Ottawa shawarma is a bit different. So if you're here, grab yourself an Ottawa shawarma. I don't think I've found a single place that I didn't like. So just pick a spot and go to it. Shawarma is one of those things that has just saved my life around the world because it is it's available in almost every country. And so, you know, if you're if you're thinking the food is sketchy in different places, you know, you can just go and you can get a shawarma. You, they're they're giving you the outside of it. it everything's cooked well. Uh, save your life. No, th- so, OK, let me ask you about this, though. Design your perfect pizza. What's it have on it? Oh, um, time to be a stereotype, uh, Canadian pizza. So for those of you that don't know, you probably have the exact same pizza, just called something different. But uh, Canadian pizza is the regular like sauce, pepperoni, cheese, but also mushrooms and bacon. Okay. I'm good with you except for the mushrooms. Like no mushrooms for me, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. What's the deal with Canadian bacon? Do you guys really call it Canadian bacon up there? Or is it just you have that? It's kind of ham. Do you know what Canadian bacon is? I do know what Canadian bacon is. Uh, you can buy them in the grocery stores, but only weird old people buy it. Okay. It's a little bit like, um, you know how Australians always get like the joke like, hi, you're going to put a little shrimp on the Barbie? Yeah. And they don't call them shrimp. They're called prawns, right? Right. So it's a little bit like that. Um, if you go to Canada, ask for bacon, it's going to be what you think of as bacon. It's actually bacon. Canadian bacon, I think, is a piece of like um, it's like some sort of like um, ham tenderloin with uh, pea meal on the outside. That's basically what it is. I think I've had it once in my life. I didn't like it. So that's I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, the only thing I mean, the only time I ever have it, and I don't really eat egg McMuffins, but I know it's what's on the egg McMuffin. That's about that's about where I know it from. Really? Because uh, here, if you order an egg McMuffin. You have two choices, bacon or ham, and we don't. there's no, like, Canadian bacon edition of the Egg McMuffin. Okay, so I'm guessing ham is the Canadian bacon. Probably, yeah. Our, the Canadian bacon that they have on our Egg McMuffin just looks like a slice of ham. Uh, so I'm guessing that's what it is. Interesting. It's interesting, yeah. Man, McDonald's, I just another kind of travel thing. McDonald's and those kiosks will save your life around the world. Like, you can be in the middle of China and just you know, tired of eating food that you don't know what it is. And you can go in there and any McDonald's in the world, you just push the button to English and you can order whatever you want in your own language. And even if you don't eat McDonald's in America, you will eat it on a long trip around the world just because it's so, it's so homey. Is it the uh, same anyway. though? Like if you order a Big Mac in China, in the middle of like, let's say uh, uh, Shanghai, China, is it the exact same that you would get at home? It is not. And in fact, every McDonald's, that is one thing that McDonald's has done an amazing job of, of, um, making things unique. Now they will have the Big Mac, but I'll say even the meat is a little different. You know, when you eat the Big Mac in China, the fries, I would say, are pretty much the same anywhere else. But they also have a lot of local things. Like if you're in Chile, 
they only eat hamburgers for breakfast. There's no typical breakfast foods. If you're in Japan, they'll have uh, teriyaki McChicken will be like the standard McChicken. And uh, just wherever you go, there's something, you know, it, it will be very local. Uh, you know, some of them will have shrimp and just all kinds of other things that you would never expect to find at a uh, on a McDonald's. But they're and, – and it's all good. Like it really is. No matter where you go, it's all good. Uh, and I, I never eat McDonald's at home. But just, yeah, around the world, it's fantastic. And I will say, like, around the world, I'm sure it's healthier. You know, the portion sizes are smaller. The the food is generally less greasy. They care what they're doing. You know, things like that uh, that you don't necessarily get as much here. That was something that really bothered me. I went to New York City, and I just wanted, like, the largest drink they, they had at, at McDonald's. And it was tiny. It was the like the largest drink they had available was smaller than the size of our mediums here. And I was like, and no refills and no in refills McDonald's in uh, New York. I yeah. was like, what the what the? Heck? But I guess it's because they were yeah. looking at uh, calories and stuff. Because even like Dunkin' Donuts, it was terrible. Because like my frosted donut only had like a a tiny ring of the of the topping on top to meet the calorie requirements. I guess. Yeah. Well, and the funny thing is, is that they put the same requirement if you get Diet Coke. Like, I mean, it's zero calories, but they still, they just push that. I'm not saying it's healthy for you, but they still push that same requirement uh, on that. So, That's a good point. Yeah. yeah, New York is special. What happened with freedom? Um, yeah, it's not in New York. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> I I used to work in New York, and it was just—I mean, it was amazing how how difficult of a place it was to do any kind of work on those giant buildings. So, uh, yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, okay. So I know you said you watch primarily YouTube, but, uh, are there any TV shows that you're watching currently? Currently? Jeez. What am I? It's hard to say. Uh, so we are trying to watch the Mandalorian, um, which is a star Wars TV series spinoff. I'm not sure if you're aware about star Wars at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm going to be, this is probably the most controversial thing I've ever said. It's not that good. Oh, snap. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's not. The problem is there are 35, 40 minute episodes and everything always gets fully resolved by the end. Mm. So as soon as you have an episode, which is going like some twist that you're not, you know, not expecting, you know, 10 minutes later, it has to be all done. So it's like, oh, something cheesy has to happen for it to end well. And then the things that where the action happens right at the start, then, you know, it's just a long sort of denouement, basically the, the wrap mm -hmm. up. So I, I don't like anymore the traditional one episode is standalone type TV. So that's a little bit hard. We're also rewatching uh, Better Call Saul because I don't think we got the we I don't think we've seen the last season yet so we were re-watching the previous season to try to get a hold of it but um yeah i think that's what's going on right now is those two all right well do you want to toss out any other things that you think are worth binging binging um i personally like silicon valley i think it's uh okay. i think it's um, um again controversial but i think it's the big bang theory for people who are actually into nerddom and not like laughing at nerddom um I like um, Game of Thrones was really good. I really liked Game of Thrones, although it is a lot for beginners to jump in because there's like a thousand characters at the beginning. Don't worry. It gets thinned out really quick. Um, 
Yeah, I'm probably forgetting some, but those those are like the the major points. I would say in the last 365 days, those are the major things that sta- stand out to me. So we've been watching the show called Better Off Ted, which I think is about 10 years old, and it is uh it is very irreverent, but it, it it's a uh, it's a show about this completely heartless, soulless uh, company, like and and it basically has little takes on all of the big, you know, heartless, soulless companies, and it is just it is hilarious. Um, and again, sometimes it hits a little too close to home with the politics and stuff like that, but it is it's been pretty funny. Uh, so that's kind of what I've been going through right now. I'll put it on my list. Maybe I'll find a box set on Amazon or something. Yeah, yeah, that could happen. Um, so yeah, all right. So let's switch over to tools a little bit. We talked uh, in our last podcast about Ryobi and some of the other stuff, but uh, what is your favorite tool in your shop? Uh, so my home shop or my sure, yeah, your home that you own. <laughs> Do you have anything you just like using? That's a good question. That's actually a, a fantastic question. Um, geez, what do I like using? Well, I think, does a 3D printer count as a tool? I, get, I guess it's like a tool maker. Sure. So recently, I've been playing a lot in CAD. And there's just something about creating something in CAD on my screen, you know, based upon shitty measurements that I took with my shitty vernier caliper. And having it print out and work first try that is some next level of satisfying so i would say my 3d printer is probably my favorite tool because when i get to use it it's always something fun um i can't believe that my basically i bought the cheapest 3d printer i could possibly find at the time and it's been perfect it's failed so few prints it's incredible so i would say i think my 3d printer right now is is the the tool i'm the most vibing with i guess as the kids would mm. say how about you it's cool um it's kind of funny like the one that popped into my head is just a really stupid tool but uh, in fact i've looked for them to to try to send it to some of my other youtube friends but i have that utility knife that like i use to open up my mailbag videos and, and stuff and it's a uh it's a i have two of them they're both stanley one's a fat max and another one is just a, a regular stanley but it has dual blades and a lot of times i'll keep a hook blade in one and a regular blade in the other um but the newer versions of that tool just have horrific reviews. Uh, but I have a couple of the older ones and they're just, you know, little things like that. that are not, it's not expensive. It's not fancy, but it just, I just like using, you know, just using well-built tools and things like that. Uh, yeah, just little things like that. Um, I love the impact drivers too. I I'd say switching from a drill to an impact driver is just, is life changing when it comes to driving screws and stuff. Yeah. I think the thing is I really, it's satisfying working with wood because you can usually build up something that's fairly big and fairly sturdy, fairly quickly and fairly cheaply. Um, but I don't have this space around here anymore. Now it's getting cold, so I can't like take the tools outside to work. So it's basically, I think if you ask me in summer, you know, after I had just built my, my new workbench, there'd probably be something in the woodworking realm. But uh, yeah, at the moment, the 3D printer is love and the 3D printer is life. Hmm. That's awesome. The uh, okay, so on the mechanic side, uh, you know, people have different brand loyalties or tools that they like. Do you have a particular brand of mechanic-y hand tools that you like to use? Uh, hand tools, no. Um, I have specific. I guess I have specific tools. Um, I'm I'm really not a like a brand 
person. There are some pneumatic tools that I will say there are a few brands that stick out for certain tools. But um, I guess like when I get to use my 3 eighths, um, my 3 eighths ratchet, 88 tooth Matco um, wrench, my ratchet wrench, that thing is an absolute godsend because it just yeah. works all the time. I could put a freaking bar at the end of it and, and crank things loose like you wouldn't imagine. It's got a uh, flexible head, but it has also a lockout for it, so you can lock it to a certain angle. And mm. so that that thing is probably my my most my most happy to use tool. But in pneumatics, it's all about Ingersoll Rand. I find my um, I have a half inch impact gun, uh, Ingersoll Rand twenty one thirty five Ti with the titanium uh, sort of housing on it. The first composite gun to hit the market. Everyone laughed at it when when it came out because you know. The old school mentality was like, well, that thing ain't steel, ain't no good. <laughs> but honestly, this thing breaks nuts like you would, like you wouldn't believe. Like it yeah. probably busts more nuts than dominatrixes, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got the, uh, I think I have the low end uh, AR or IR um, half inch impact. And I've got the, uh, I have a butterfly. It's a fancy company. I have a, a relatively expensive Butterfly 3 eighths that I like using. But uh, I also have the 3 eighths and half-inch Ryobi battery-operated ones. And, and it's just amazing how much they've replaced air for me. I mean, I, I bust out air every once in a while. But uh, for the most part, I don't do enough to, to justify using them. If you find the 2135 Ti half-inch gun at a, um, a thrift store or at a... Um wherever you find your deals for yeah. let's say for a hundred bucks or less that is a killer deal you can't beat it that thing you won't be able to kill that thing yeah i'll have to i'll look keep an eye out for it i do have a quarter inch one too a quarter inch air ratchet that uh i don't use a ton but i do have it so yeah i'll keep i'll keep an eye out for that uh maybe i'll sell my old one so yeah once you try this you won't go back there's no way okay yeah, I do. Uh, I had a bigger compressor. I haven't had a whole lot of tools stolen in my life, but I lent my uh, my big belt drive craftsman professional compressor to a friend and it got stolen at his house. And uh, so now I'm using a, a DeWalt portable that just doesn't have the same capacity as that big old beast. So uh, it, that's I know that's had an effect on my air tool usage. Oh, yeah. You need so, the volume. Yeah, definitely. You need the CFM. So do you have any tools, uh, either mechanic or home, that you have your eye on? Yeah, yes, but no. So yes, mostly because the thing that I'm eyeing right now is a laser cutter. But mm. the no is because there, there's just no way that I see in the near future to be able to A, afford one, and B, have the space for it. Because even if I could afford one, I don't really know where I'm going to put it. Uh, I have some space in my YouTubing space um, but there would be nowhere to vent out of. Like I'd have to run a duct like 20 feet out to a, to a window. So I would really love a laser cutter. And if someone's going to send me one, like if a company's going to send me one to, to review, I mean, I'll make it happen. But at the moment, um, yeah, uh, aside from that, I don't really know because I'm, I'm kind of one of these people that I'm very thrifty. And so if I have it in my mind that I want something, Within six months, I'm getting it. Uh, I'm going to be on Kijiji, which is our Craigslist. Every day, I'll have saved searches there, saved searches on eBay. I'll have like a camel, camel, camel uh, pricing alert if something drops down. <laughs> like I am, I am on it basically 
all the time. So it's hard for me to, to have like a want that isn't filled because even for, I'll find it for any budget. And it drives, it drives my wife nuts because she doesn't know what to get me for my birthday or for Christmas because like I have everything. Like I end up, I end up finding it. So it is what it is, I guess. So I definitely share your, uh, your cheapness thing. And, and if I was going to answer this next question, it would kind of go back to tools. But is there anything that you've bought, um, that you actually felt like you cheaped out on and wish you would have bought something that was a little higher quality? There absolutely is. Um, but being able to recall it now is kind of difficult. <laughs> well, I can tell you mine. So one thing, um, you know, I, I deal with a fair amount of concrete and, you know, there's, you could drill into concrete with a drill or you can drill in with a hammer drill. Uh, but the next step up is this thing called an SDS drill and, uh, they have these splined bits. And what's nice about the SDS drills is they generally can drill or hammer or hammer and drill. And so like a lot of times they're called rotary hammers or roto hammers and things like that. And, uh, and it's kind of mind blowing. Like if you ever hear a hammer drill, it kind of has a, a high pitch like like that, but there's more of a chunk a chunk with a, with an SDS drill. And you can just tell that it is putting a lot, it's doing a lot more than tapping. It is hammering when it's, when it's drilling through that concrete. And, uh, at first I bought a Ryobi 18 volt version of that and I got it for 50 bucks on clearance and I drilled the first three holes and I was like, this just isn't even worth $50 on clearance. Um, so I bought the corded version and I generally have the, the mindset, like I, you know, people would call me a Ryobi fanboy, but if, if it's a tool that you're going to, if it's a tool that you need two hands for, you probably also want a cord. Um, it's sort of my, you know, my mentality on that. So if it's a belt sander or if it's a, you know, if it's a rotary hammer, like it, it's fine to, you know, it's, it's fine to drill a couple holes with a battery one, but if you're going to really drill or break up some concrete, you want a cord. Well, then I bought a, a Ryobi, uh, corded version and it's fine. But in the reality is I wish I would have spent a little bit more money on a Bosch. Like I can, I can just tell that that thing gets hot you know, when I drill six, eight holes and, and it's, you know, I wish I would have spent twice as much on a Bosch. Oh yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'm trying, I'm still trying to think about it. It's, I'm really, a, I'm a cautious purchaser. Um, aside from the stuff that is so cheap that there's no way you can lose out on the deal, like stuff on eBay or, or used or whatever, I am fairly cautious and very well researched when it comes to, to buying things. So, I'm trying to think of like a major example that I should have just bought. Like I can think there's some studio lighting that I had bought back in my photography days where like I kind of wish I, I had waited for something something else. But if I think about it, nothing else was available at that price range at the time. So it's really I don't I don't think so. I, th I think it's uh, it's all pretty good. I do take more risks when it comes to Amazon because I can just send it back and like, yeah. You know, I have a top secret item. I can just shake it for the for the mic here. There we go. I have a top secret item beside me that um, my Patreons will uh, will know about, but uh, the general public won't know until at least next month. Um, but that is, I mean, I took a risk on it, and it's garbage. So I'm sending it back, and I ordered something better. So I guess it's it's hard to it's it's hard to really you know figure out anything like that. Like I've got like my monitors maybe I would have liked something higher refresh rate or 
higher resolution, but eh, you know, mostly I'm pretty well researched. Yeah. So then my second question was going to be, do you feel like, is there anything you feel like you've really overpaid for or something like that? Uh, yeah, probably not then. Yeah. Well, definitely. There's some, um, there's some like, like stuff that I, that I ordered from China that were too good to be true and they ended up, you know, not true. So I have a, uh, one of my most recent videos and, um, that people are going to be able to see, but you haven't seen yet because I haven't published it at the time of recording. But the uh, Banggood 18650s, for example, I paid, uh, I think, $16 US for, 20-some bucks Canadian. And they're, abs- they're completely trash. They are, they're unusable. Like, they're, they, they have a sticker on them that says 4,000 milliamp hours. And I knew they weren't going to be. I was hoping at least 2,200. But even discharging them at 100 milliamps, um, some of them didn't even crack 900. So, like, they're absolute trash and i wish i wouldn't have bought them but banggood's return policy is so trash as well you have to take a video of the malfunction with the upc and the packaging clearly visible and i mean garbage day was like a few days ago it's gone so yeah i wish i didn't buy that but i will tear them down for fun now though you've had quite the quest to get some 18650s in your hands uh tell us a little bit about what the deal is with that in canada i don't know i think it's i honestly think it's a shipping deal um so you can go on amazon and buy 18650s but they're like 10 or 15 dollars each and that's for like low-end just regular chinesium cells um if you want like an lg or a panasonic 18650 they're like 22 bucks a pop each that's really expensive. I can't be spending $22 for a single 18650 cell. This is insane. And the same thing goes when you go on AliExpress, for example, and try to order 18650s. The shipping is to Canada is like 50 or 60 or 70 or 100 or $200. It must be somewhere in the shipping. Now, I, That's insane. Yeah. And I got around this because there was a sale on some flashlight on um, Amazon that included four 18650 cells, uh, and I paid like $25 for the flashlight and the four cells. So that was a way to get some. But very recently, in a video that um, is available to my audience, but not yet to you at the time of recording, a viewer actually sent me a whole bunch of salvaged cells. And uh, he, that, that viewer is in Canada, so they avoided the shipping over the border thing. So now I've got a whole bunch of cells to experiment with. They're used and they're not all that great quality, not all of them, but I'm thrilled to get them because 18650s are like the rarest thing here. That's fantastic. I uh, I recently sent you a package, which you may have by the time this airs, but uh, I accidentally had dropped a drone 50 milliamp, uh, the little kind of foil pack um <laughs> foil pack lithium ion battery in there and didn't realize it to the last second. And then when I was going back through it, I found an 18650 in there also. So uh, I almost shipped you lithium ion batteries across the border, but uh, that 50 milliamp one would have caught the entire thing on fire. That was a, uh, that was a very poor quality, slightly bulging <laughs> lithium ion battery. So I'm glad, I'm glad I caught that one before I burned the whole mail truck down. That would have been hilarious if it would have showed up at my door, just smoldering. <laughs> 
I will tell you a story. Uh, my mom used to work for the corporate office of Dunkin' Donuts. And, you know, she just had this weird thing where she would send me just as gifts. She would send me, like, industrial size quantities of the random ingredients that they had. And uh, she must have gotten a deal on these five-pound boxes of sprinkles. And she put them in a box. And uh, around Christmas, around here, when UPS comes, they... uh a lot of times what they'll do is they'll have one UPS driver and then one or two people riding in the back of the truck and they're just running to get packages out as fast as they can. So I was out at my driveway and the truck pulled up and the people opened the door and there were, and I didn't know what was coming, but they opened the door and there were sprinkles all over the floor of the truck. <laughs> and, uh, and the minute they opened it, I knew it was my mom. And uh, and sure enough, I was like, "What happened in here?" And they're like, "Some idiot shipped sprinkles." And uh, and sure enough, they hand me the package, and there's just rainbow sprinkles pouring out of the box as they're handing it to me. And I'm just like, "Thank you." Uh, yeah. So that was uh, thanks, mom. Uh, appreciate that. Have you ever so, heard of the um, the website you can go to to mail your enemies glitter? <laughs> no, but that's fantastic. Yeah. So basically, well. As we know, glitter is the herpes of the craft world. So it gets everywhere. And uh, yeah, you can actually like there's someone that runs a service where you pay them and they send an, an envelope, just a regular like letter envelope with glitter in it, but not in a package, just in the paper envelope. So as soon as you open it, it goes everywhere. That's fantastic. I don't know why I didn't think of that. My mother-in-law sends uh, confetti and everything. And like I'll open up a cart and we have to drive to our mailbox. So it's always in my car. I open the thing and there'll just be random confetti falling out of a of a thank you note. Uh, it's just. That's yeah, hilarious. That's crazy. At least it's not glitter. See, yeah, at least it's not glitter. So, so I've got a couple of random questions for you. Uh, as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, really? Yeah. I had heard somewhere that they made a lot of money. So that's what I fixated on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you did the next best thing, became a, an auto mechanic. Yeah. I guess as far as liars go, we both have roughly the same, uh, sort of, uh, public perception about us. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, when I was really young, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be a lawyer. And, um, basically there was this thing where, um, in high school, a lot of the kids were talking about. Their, well, their parents were talking to them about how much money they had put aside for, for college, university here in Canada. And uh, some people were like, yeah, I've got like 20 grand, I've got 10 grand, I've got 15 grand, I've got 50 grand. And just so you know, uh, 50 grand will probably get you through a four-year degree back then here in Canada. Right now, it's more like uh, 60 grand, but you know, it's still, it's cheaper than the U.S. is what I'm saying. Um, mm -hmm. I went home and asked my parents and they just kind of laughed and... Um, <laughs> And, you know, you're young. I didn't know about, like, we have, like, like my province has a, a program to lend, loan you money at zero interest until you're, until you're done your studies. Even, I think you have a year after you're done to start doing payments without interest. And um, I was like, shit, I don't know what to do. And, you know, I was turned 17 at the time, got my driver's license, bought a car. Um, the person I bought it from, the, it was a shady dealer, like one of these corner, corner lots that change names every, every week. Hmm. And so I bought it. It passed the safety check because and they put it in my name and then I brought it home. There was a weird noise from the rear. So I pulled the rear drums off and 
the 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 shoes were completely wrecked. They were like there was nothing left. So it basically hadn't passed a legitimate safety. And I was like, you know what? I just pay, like I still owed my my parents for like you know a third of this car because I couldn't pay the whole thing up front. So I was like, I'm not paying anybody to do it. I'm gonna get it done no matter what. And anybody who's worked on cars knows that drum brakes are like a pain in the butt. A royal that's what I was up. thinking. If you're going to start with brakes, starting with drums, that's yep. that's a baller move. Absolutely. So, yeah, I got, you know, it took me all of uh, like probably six hours to do the one corner. And the only way I got it done is that I had, I got everything off. It took a long time to get all the springs off. The springs are extremely stiff. And then I was like, great, how do I put this back together? So I had to go jack up the other side of the car and take the other drum off to see what it's supposed to look like. But I got it done. And once I got it done, I had this sense of accomplishment saying like, wait a minute, I was going to like someone could pay someone to do this. Like I can do this. Why don't I do it? And then I get paid. And that was kind of the genesis of uh, becoming a mechanic. So I was probably about 16, 17, maybe 16 when I knew I was going to be a mechanic, basically. That's awesome. I tried to explain to my wife that there is, you know, the you know, they always say that there's there's no pain like a woman giving birth or something like that. I always say there's no frustration like working on a car in an awkward situation and dropping a bolt a hundred times. Like it's there's nothing that anybody who doesn't work with their hands, like you've you've never experienced the kind of frustration of trying to get a drum screw, a drum spring on a hundred times and having it fly and hit in the face or, you know, reaching your arm around something and trying to get a, a bolt to just come on or go off or something like that. Like there's just a different kind of, of frustration that, that unless you work on cars, you just, you, you, you may think you understand it. You don't understand it. Yeah. And I use that as an inspirational thing. I tell my students, I tell them, uh, when they, when I, I help them to get something done and you know, they've been struggling with it and, and then I just show them and I do it. And then they look on their face. They look at me like, what the hell did you just do? And then I undo it and I say, you know, now it's your turn. I showed you how to do it. Now it's your turn. I use that as an inspirational moment. I tell them, they, they ask me, how the hell did you do that? And I say, look, I have dropped more bolts than you've touched. So hmm. stick with it. It's going to come. Don't worry about it. And then you tell them that your wrist secretly dislocates and you can just reach around things. No, you don't tell them that. You don't tell them that. You just let them struggle a little. <laughs> so uh all right this is this is kind of a bigger picture question what is the best advice or or at least a great piece of advice that someone has given you hmm i i don't i don't think anybody has directly told me something that has affected my life so much that i had remembered about it i think most of the advice came from people that I respected. And I don't think there was like a single like tidbit of advice that they gave me that really directed me or stuck with me so much that I, that I internalized it. I think what it is more is that you get advice and direction from your surroundings. And so if you surround yourself with great people, which I know a ton of, then you're constantly getting advice, even if it's not in the form of words. You know what I mean? Just being in the presence of greatness sort of like leads you to greatness. And 
I'm a firm believer that the the person you are and you want to become will depend on the company you keep because those are the people who you choose to have around you. And so, like, I can point towards uh, things that you've told me, things that other YouTubers have told me. I can point towards things that teachers have told me in my formative years. But I think what they've said to me is much less important than the fact that they were there to answer my questions. And I learned from their example rather than, like, specific words. I don't know if that's cheaping out on your question, but that's, I guess that's no, the way I'm answering it. No, that's, that's really good. And, and I, you know, I, I've dealt with that also, just whether, uh, you need people like that in your life. And just like I said, talking to you guys, we talk about, you know, we talk about more than just YouTube, but having solid people to bounce things off of. Uh, and I mean, it could be something as stupid as how should I respond to this comment or, you know, those bigger life things, having wise people in your life is so valuable. And I've had stretches in my life where I've, I've been surrounded with a lot of wise people and, uh, and times that I haven't. And it's, it's definitely lonely when you're not, um, you know, when I was in Alaska, you know, I, I was the place that I worked, I was pretty much the boss of everybody within, you know, everybody that I was friends with. Uh, and I mean, I was able to have some conversations and stuff like that, but it's just, it's just a different sort of, uh, of reality that, that having some people, even if they were five hours away in Fairbanks, like that I could just bounce things off of was just incredibly helpful. And, uh, so yeah, I could see that. Yeah. It's a little bit cheap, but then again, yeah. I try to live, I try to live my life, um, attempting to be that person for somebody else. Like, I think you're the one who told me that someone was very helpful to you when you were first getting started in programming, and having that person um, around made the big difference for you. And then now you try to be that person for for other people. I think that's that's I think that's the best way to do it. And I don't remember. I think it was Neil deGrasse Tyson who said on a podcast that I've heard years and years ago, um, where a student no it was um, it was Adam Savage. Uh, someone had asked him at Comic Con. What advice do you have for uh, teachers? And he said, we all remember like one or two, maybe if you're lucky, three teachers who really shaped you and informed you and made you who you were. And he said, simply be that teacher for someone else. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Adam Savage and you completely separately came up with really the, the best way to lead your life, right? Try to be excellent for the people around you. And I've seen you living that out. I, I watched some of your old videos in prep for this. And, you know, you had a video that was inspired by a video from Junk From Work uh, where you encouraged people to check out three small YouTube channels. And uh, and you were one of the early people to pop into my comments and encourage me. And, uh, you know, and, and I just see you doing that constantly as people these small YouTubers, you're in their comments, you're validating them, you're encouraging them. And, uh, and I, I think that's really cool to see in this podcast, you're giving people with smaller channels and people who are not as far along in this journey as you are, you're giving them a voice and a platform. And I think that's really powerful. Uh, so I love what you're doing there. Well, thank you. But honestly, uh, it's because I see their potential more than YouTube does. If I had money to invest 
into into these channels uh to, like if i had money to throw into the channel to make them big i would i would do so because i believe like like for example your channel i i don't know how come you're smaller than my channel i have no idea there's no way like you have two channels and i feel like they should be you know behemoths but you know this is the only way i can i can I guess I can help is I can tell people like, Hey, if you haven't seen it, go see it. You're going to regret not seeing it. So I guess that's, it's kind I guess it's kind of selfish because I feel like you should be up there. So I'm doing what I can to bring you up there. I guess. Well, I appreciate that. You definitely have the, uh, the rising tide, you know, brings up all boats mentality. And that's, you know, that's so encouraging. One of the things you see on the YouTube dashboard is you see the channel sizes of the people who subscribe to you. So, you know, if you subscribe to a channel um, that's small, there's a really good chance that they're going to see that on their dashboard more than just the fact that they had 30 new subscribers in the last month. And so uh, that's that's just super encouraging. I saw, um, I don't know if you saw the video that Andreas Spice Spice did uh, talking about his channel growth. I guess he did it about a year ago where he actually did use uh, some YouTube advertising funds in the beginning to promote his videos. And that was one of his strategies that kind of got his up to a, a certain point. And then he basically said, I ran out of money that I could pour into promoting the channel. And now it either has to kind of sing or swim on its own. Uh, I hadn't really seen too many other YouTubers do that. Maybe they do, and I just don't know it. Uh, but I thought that was pretty interesting. That is interesting. I'll have to check it out. But about your comment about people seeing that I've s subscribed to them, um, oops, I have my subscriptions private, <laughs> simply. Uh, uh. Yeah, I have to explain myself. It's because, honestly, I watch a ton of YouTube, and I can't keep up with everybody. Um, so I don't want anybody to feel bad because I'm not subscribed to them. Because mm. even, like, I find, like, YouTube, you, YouTube's algorithm is pretty good at, at um, suggesting similar content. So I actually, like, for example, every single video that Peter Sripal puts out, I don't know if you know, who that is but if you don't i don't he's basically the uh stereotypical american but he's also a maker so he likes uh he supersizes like guns and and explosives and things like anyways he's really good i watch every single one of his video but this week i realized i wasn't subscribed to him youtube just knew that i liked his content and they just kept giving it so i don't want people to feel bad that I'm not subscribed to them. So that's why I keep my subscriptions private, but I try to let myself known in the comments, go like, hey, look, I'm, I'm watching your stuff. Well, if you are a maker and you're looking for similar content, uh, the other day I was sitting there on my TV and I went to Pile of Stuff's channel, which if you're not subscribed to that, you should be. But uh, he does list his subscriptions and he has, I mean, I probably scrolled through his subscriptions for an hour and probably found a hundred new people to subscribe to. So if you're looking for some different uh, maker-ish, electronic-ish type things uh he definitely has a treasure trove of people that i've never heard of and you know people with five hundred thousand subscribers that i've never heard of but just really i've been kind of having fun looking at all this new content lately so that's been that's been good i just want to interject peter if you're listening hit me up i want you on the podcast <laughs> 
fantastic. <laughs> uh, okay, so what is uh, – I've got – I can go as long as you want. Uh, what's something that would probably surprise your viewers about you? Because, again, I, you know, I'm asking these questions, and you know, it really – I want to say it's not really about the best advice someone ever gave you. Like I want people to understand how you process that advice, like you're saying, you know, the little bits here and there. Like I, I really want these people who – spend so much time watching your content to understand, to understand you. So what's something that would probably surprise them? Like if they've seen all your videos and they've heard all of your podcasts, what, you know, what do you think they wouldn't know about you? Well, um, maybe something quite surprising is that my favorite podcast right now is the H3H3 podcast. So people who do listen to podcasts might know who that is, but he's basically a self-made YouTube channel who transitioned to a podcast channel, but he does like such general stuff. Very like, um, I mean, he's, he's older. I think he's a bit older than I am, but he makes a lot of stuff that could be interpreted as a sort of, um, zoomer humor, um, and millennial humor. Um, but man, is his podcast ever good? Like I've, I guess I, Recently, I've been using my brain to the to the point where like it's it's basically I'm brain dead. Like I'm I've just been been thinking so much, and it's just so nice to just listen to just nonsense, like basically nonsense. It's like YouTube drama and Twitter drama and whatever. But uh, Ethan and Ela, they're they're killing it. Their their podcast is so good, and like even um, they have this. Uh, this this character uh, Trisha Paytas she she was she's basically like um, internet famous for like all sorts of weird stuff like she's not a human being that I think I would even hang out with and somehow their relationship between like the 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 main host and and her that was very combative when he had her on his show and and then they became friends and now she's like she's dating his his brother-in-law like I don't even know. Like, I don't, it's, it's, I feel like I'm watching like, like a reality show almost, but it is an amazing podcast. If you haven't listened to it, maybe you'll listen to it and not like it. I don't know. I love it. I can't get enough of it. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. So yeah, that would, that would be I surprising. Good. I uh, I was going to ask you actually, what are some of the podcasts that you, we're going to get into the podcast YouTube stuff a little bit? What are some other podcasts that you listen to? That that's it. That would be H three H three is. Oh, sorry. I guess I listen to uh, the Adam Savage Project as well. Um, okay. Adam Savage is like my north star. He's like the. I, I think, like if I basically I set myself goals uh, in this podcast, and my number one goal is to have Adam on the podcast. Now. I know it's not going to happen. I get it. It's fine. I understand, but I still need something to aspire to. So, you know, having Adam Savage on the podcast would be my number one goal. I, every time I see a new still untitled, I think it's, unti- I think it is titled now. It's just called the Adam Savage Project. Um, I have to watch it. It's fantastic. But uh, so that in the H3 is kind of the only ones I listen to. 
Well, I know that my wife is listening to this podcast, so it's time to start tweeting at him again and uh, seeing what you can do to make that happen. For those of you that don't know, uh, Simple Electronics was on a live stream, and he mentioned Adam Savage. And so my wife started tweeting and Instagramming at him and stuff like that, trying to get him to drop into the live stream. But uh, So, yeah, that's still one of her life goals is to make your life goal happen. So I don't, cool. don't want to jinx it. Uh, this person, so there's there's a major. You know who I'm talking about. There's a major figure in in electronics YouTube who said, "Yeah, he's down for a podcast. He just you know has to make time." But I don't know. Like I don't know if he's being polite or anything. It hasn't happened yet. But if I could get him on the podcast, that would be amazing. Like basically, this person. I don't want to say who it is because I don't want to put pressure on him. But to have like an hour, hour and a half conversation with this person just shooting the shit would be amazing. All of you would be jealous. Like everyone listening. It's Joe Rogan, isn't it? It's Joe Rogan. God, I wish Joe Rogan would be a great <laughs> conversation. We would talk about He'd be amazing. Yeah, but he does it for a living, right? I don't have anything to 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 give him. Like I don't have anything to <laughs> offer him, so he would I don't you know, I don't think he would do it. Still be fun. That's true. Actually, I, I lied. I do listen to Joe Rogan sometimes, but it really depends on the guest. If I'm the same way with that one. I, it has to be the right guest. Yeah, Chappelle was on the other day, so I listened to Chappelle. A couple things I'm a little disappointed about, but I mean, hey, Chappelle's a human. He's allowed to his opinions as well, so it is what it is. Yeah, he's Spotify only, and I don't have Spotify on my phone now, so uh, we'll see. No, he's on. See if I decide to make the change. He's on YouTube. Oh, I thought uh, I thought December first he switched to Spotify only. Oh, maybe December first. That's that's possible. I think he did. Chappelle was in November, so I'm I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah. So speaking of that, I've seen this question sort of asked a few times, and and uh, people want to know what's it like to start a podcast and how's it going. I mean, you don't have to give us numbers and things like that, but just in general, what 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 was that process like for you, and and how do you feel like it's going as of December 2020? It's um probably the most stress I've put myself under willingly, I would say. Um, it's very difficult to keep to a schedule. I when I was in the conception portion of this um, of this podcast. I had spoken to my wife and I was like, because honestly, she's the smartest person I've ever met. And I was like, I'm going to do it weekly. And she's like, you can't do it weekly. I'm like, I have to do it weekly. Podcasts are weekly. She said, you can't do it weekly. And I said, "Uh, but I want to try. And she said, you can't do it weekly. And I said, but. And then I decided to go biweekly on her or every two weeks. I don't know if that's biweekly or weekly yeah yeah anyways every two weeks on her recommendation and boy am i ever glad that i did so keeping to a schedule has been extremely difficult there are some days where my mental state just says nope you're done you've done enough work for today we we are not going anywhere and i still have to edit the podcast and i still have to give it to the guest at a reasonable rate uh, so that they can listen to it and approve it or or decline it so far everybody's approved which is been pretty nice actually um and then there's the other thing for an introvert like me who's very hard on myself and i kind of downplay my importance to other people um like personally i don't downplay it i guess i do downplay it publicly as well but anyways i don't feel like like i'm deserving of other people's time um to reach out to 
to people that I don't know very well and asking them to be guests. Uh, it's very daunting. Uh, probably for a good reason. Most of the guests have said no, or sorry, they haven't said no, but by omission, it's a no because they just don't answer my emails, which is fine. Um, but yeah, it's very, it's very difficult. And the last sort of just to give you guys a perspective, the last episode, uh, with Billy Rubin, uh, was actually the, the second, only the second cold ask that I've done to someone with, you know, I guess that's more popular than me in the, um, in the, in the, the space, uh, who said yes, like she was thrilled to do the podcast. And I was beside myself when I got an answer from her because I mean, especially in the 3d printing world, she's kind of a big deal. Like this, a this, it's a pretty big guest. She's not very big on YouTube yet, but I mean, I'll tell you, if you go look at her numbers now, they are way the hell higher than when, when I asked her, like she is, she is a big deal. So yeah, I've asked a whole bunch of people and usually no replies. So that like plays on my anxieties and stuff, but I'm lucky that, um, I've been able to make some really good friends, uh, with really, um, with really, uh, that are very easy to speak to and, and they're very intelligent, um, articulate people. And if you look at the first six, first six, seven episodes, those are them. They gave their, their time and you included uh, another maker. They gave their time to be part of the genesis of this. And honestly, for no gains, like they, they don't, they don't have anything to gain from it. They just graciously gave their time. So yeah, it's been difficult. It's been stressful, but I want to push through it and I want to keep going. I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. So even if I have to do a couple solo episodes um, until I can get some some more guests, it is what it is. I've enjoyed the heck out of the podcast. Like even people that I've watched 90% of their YouTube catalog, like there's just something about this format. I, you kill it in terms of how you host these things and just the way you can tell I'm sort of asking you a series of questions, but you're just so much more natural at this type of thing. And I just, I really enjoy it. Like to hear you and junk for work or pile of stuff or, um, gadget reboot or something like that, having a conversation. It's just, it's so cool because you, you know, I'll watch every video pile of stuff makes, but just to hear him chatting, in fact, after your podcast with him, like my wife and I went geocaching because, you know, it sounded fun and I had heard of it and never done it before. And it's just, you know, it's just such a cool way to hear in just a more natural, unscripted way, you know, what somebody's like as opposed to these 10 to 20 minute edited pieces of content that we put out. Uh, is, so. Isn't it great that all my guests have been like super interesting? I haven't had like a single dud. Like everyone is just top notch people. Like even oh, mind you, like for me, what I get out of it is I get to chat with the greats. Like I had an hour and a half long conversation with a pile of stuff. I got a two hour conversation with you. I mean, there are people on on YouTube, like in our audience, that would kill to have two hours speaking with you. Like they, like this is great. Like I'm on I'm on this end. Yeah, there's the downside. I have to do the editing and <laughs> and whatever. But like honestly, I had I literally got a two hour conversation, or you know one to two hour conversation with someone freaking awesome on the other end. And on top of that, I usually get to chat with them sort of with their guard down 
for 15 minutes before the podcast. So it's like, it's like meeting a new person. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And it, it, it feels like, you know, two videos talking to each other because it, it just, you know, I, I, I've texted you or not texted you, but I've talked to you in comments and text form and things like that. But just, you know, you've never been able to respond instantly. Or even when I've watched your, uh, your live streams, like, you know, you'll see something I typed, but it'll be three minutes after I type it. And it's just, it's really a cool, uh, it's really a cool format. Yeah. Speaking of the live streams, what is it like doing those? Uh, that seems like one of those things that I've I've never attempted it. Uh, I feel like <laughs> I tend to say things that that uh, you know may require some editing from time to time, and uh, I just think it'd be uh, I, I think it sounds fun. But what's it like for you to do that, and how do you how do you make that happen? Well, um, someone who isn't a YouTube creator would probably not understand this, but the best part of making YouTube videos is the interaction with the comment section. So if you take that interaction and you make it relatively instant, I won't say instant, but relatively instant, that's what live streaming feels like. So live streaming is actually my favorite type of content to make. It's just in my household, um, my wife is usually streaming when I'm available to stream and even though we have gigabit internet, something with uh, reflections in our line, we don't have enough um, headroom on the bandwidth for both of us to stream at the same time. So honestly, she's a way better streamer than, than I am anyways, so it makes sense for her to go ahead and uh, just make uh, videos, but live streaming is where it's at. I love it. It is the best. On top of that, I get to see the community I've sort of built like the people who come by in the comment sections all the time, those are the people chatting in the live stream. And similar to my podcast guests, they're all really smart people. Like I have to say my comment section, um, and I don't want to, you know, diss anybody else's comment section, but my comment section is awesome. Like for the, for the most part on the non super popular wide reach videos, my comment section is the, is the best. So yeah, you can take all that interaction and squish it into an instant sort of platform, and that's what live streaming is like. So if you haven't done it yet, I would highly recommend it. it it's awesome. It does seem like fun. I was going to ask you about that. How do you feel like you built that community up? Uh, I definitely, I mean, there are definitely people who watch every one of my videos and things like that, but uh, you definitely do seem to have more of a community of people who basically consider it a necessity to comment on every one of your videos or things like that. Um, or most of them. And how do you feel like you went from, you know, people who watch your videos to a community? I don't, I don't actually know because I don't get the sense of community until those live streams. Like there's, I get sporadic comments here and there, but you have to admit, like I put out a lot of videos and they're not all the same topics and they're not all the same quality, and so I'm seeing patterns where some people comment on some videos and other people comment on other types of videos. So it's really hard to get the sense of community until I do those live streams or when I go hang out in my Patreon. I, 
I was going to ask you about that. If you feel like Patreon, because I sort of would imagine that when someone becomes one of your patrons, that they they do feel more of a sense of ownership. They feel, you know, if they're getting early access to those videos, they feel probably more inclined to watch them and comment on them and things like that. And I almost wonder if they sort of create themselves, at least partially, through Patreon. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say. But but again, um, my my patrons are quite diverse like a lot of them don't comment and don't watch the videos they're literally like i asked them if they needed more time to early access the videos and they're like i don't know i'm just here to support like i don't really care and so it's it's like it's tough to to draw a line i do have a couple very vocal uh patreon patrons which is which is great uh, on a live stream uh, and there's some that comment on pretty much all my videos, so maybe that's what it is. They have a sense of ownership in the in the the channel, and honestly, my channel wouldn't be where it is today without them because they're like they're like little cheerleaders all the time. Like they they really push me to 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 do well. Um, so there's that, but I don't really know how you build a community. To be honest, I think. I think it's just the the type of people I've attracted are the sort of Arduino-y, technically-minded, sort of open-to-learning type people. And those are the people that self-select for being awesome, I guess. I, I really don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. I try to, One of the things I like to do, and this sort of just uh, as we sort of get a little bit more to the end, I think about it. I like to, to go on someone's YouTube channel and sort the videos by oldest to newest. And if I do that on your channel, it takes me back to August 10th, 2016. And there is a video about a DC to DC step down power supply. Is that your first video or did you have other videos before that that you deleted? No, I, th I think that's the genesis. I think that's number one. Well, because it, it's so weird because uh, kind of poking fun. It's the worst thumbnail on your on your channel. And you've got a red font over your purple mat. But other than those two things, it's remarkably, you know, this, in other words, the production value is better now. But you were, I mean, you were the same person. You were, you know, you had your purple mat. You, you know, you did, I, I was amazed. Like, I thought you did just as good of a job explaining stuff back then as you do now. Like, it, it's, it's very impressive for a, you know, for a first video you put out there. Um, what did you think when you uploaded that video, when you started this this journey down the YouTube channel uh, over four years ago now? Uh, what were you expecting and, and have you gotten what you expected or what, how did all that go for you? I'm a very um, try stuff and throw it onto the wall and see if it sticks type of person. So um, I was not expecting for like my channel to get to where I am today but when I hit upload I was hoping so basically I thought you know there's youtubers who I really like like back then I was probably watching the entire of Julian Eilert's back catalog and I had found Big Clive kind of by by chance we can talk about that a little bit later if you'd like um, and I was like you know what I can do this. I don't know if I can do it as well as them. I just know I could do it. Um, and I need to learn more electronics. So I think at that point I had already bought an Arduino and I had already, I already had a couple little things. I had, I had found out how inexpensive it was to buy transistors and, and stuff like that. And I was playing with transistors. So I was like, okay, 
if I have to know something well enough to make a video about it, then I've learned it. So I'm going to use it as a learning tool and I'm going to put it online and hopefully people like the video and eventually maybe I'll make, you know, five bucks a month so I can buy more transistors or diodes or whatever, right? That was my, that was, that was the, the, the thought it would be offset my costs to, to buy like electronics components. Cause that's kind of what I started buying was like raw components and LEDs and stuff. So when I made that video, it was like a, like a training exercise, I guess. Like I was like, can I do this? And then I realized I could, I've always liked editing softwares and stuff. I used to, um, here's, here's something you may not know about me. I used to make, um, music when I was in high school, bad music, but I used to make it. And, (laughs) um, so I was like familiar with editing software. I did photography for a long time. So, you know, I knew how to work Photoshop, not very well, as you can tell by the uh, thumbnail, but regardless. And then, yeah, I put it up hoping that one day I'd be a big YouTube channel. You know, a couple months in, you realize YouTube is extremely difficult. It's not as easy as it looks. But I was just like, you know what? Screw it. Um, I'm learning, like, electronics. I'm learning the process. I'll just keep going. So that's kind of how we got to where I am today. It's amazing how many views some of your early videos have, too. That one is 7,600. Your uh, your eBay module caught fire, I think, 50-some thousand, 56,000, somewhere in that range. <laughs> Uh, you just have a lot of a lot of those videos took off, maybe not instantly, but eventually took off. Like you, you really started with some some good solid videos, and it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you've uh, you you've got a few things going going viral here and there, and it's it's uh, that's one of those things. Like we talk about it all the time. Like people so many people want to tell you what you should and shouldn't make, and and it is. I wouldn't say impossible, but it feels pretty much impossible to figure out what is going to take off and what isn't. Like it, it just really is. Uh, it, it's so hard to know what people are actually going to watch and what the algorithm will bless and and all that stuff. Oh, absolutely! Like the algorithm is the mistress here because that's the algorithm is the reason why your channel and Pile of Stuff's channel and Gadget Reboot's channel and Billy Rubin's channel and my channel. It's the reason we're not at 100,000 subscribers because at this point, I don't see a single video from any of us that is any worse than a video from a channel with 100,000 subscribers. Like, obviously, someone like um, Big Clive, for example, is very analytical in what he does. Like, he, he really can go down to the nitty gritty. And so, you know, he's a 250,000 subscriber channel but you know the ones hovering in the hundreds of thousands you know in the bottom bottom hundreds of thousands i don't feel like they're making better videos to us like like you know better they're different they're not they're not better they're very similar in in quality and effort and editing and content and all this stuff so i feel like the difference between us and them and it's not to bring them down it's that um, they have either been doing it longer or the algorithm has blessed them or their topics have been, have been, um, more searchable. Um, but honestly, I don't feel like a pile of stuff video doesn't deserve a hundred thousand views every time he releases one. I don't feel like a, another maker video 
has any reason to not get 100,000 views aside from the fact that we're not as discoverable. I think that's the that's the big thing. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, if you watch Julian Alette, I mean, he is a dang legend. But, like, if I watch your mailbag video or Pile of Stuff's mailbag video or if I showed them to my wife, you know, she wouldn't be able to tell which one of you has more subscribers than the other. Like, he's a legend, and I'll watch any mailbag video he puts out, and I'll watch any vocoder video he puts out. But, uh, you know, you can't tell by watching your video, uh, you know, that your channel would have less subscribers than his. I mean, your your mat is bigger. So, I mean, I would expect that that means that you're on a bigger budget. I've got two mats. Wow. Yeah. Are they both purple? Yeah. That's that's a question I was going to ask. Where did you get the purple mat? This is actually, you know what? It's a super common question. I should just make a YouTube video about it. So here it is. For the, especially for the men out there that want my purple mat, you're going to have to cinch up your belt and lift up your pants and go into the sewing section of your local Walmart. It is literally a sewing mat. So I know a lot of people won't be able to find it because they're, they're too embarrassed to go into the sewing section or whatever. But honestly, that's where it is. They're, they're actually really good. I had, um, I bought mine specifically because when I went to a Walmart, um, there was these mats and it was like a two pack for the price that I would assume was, was a single one. So I was like, well, it's a two pack. My, my desk is wide enough for two of these. So it's like basically half the price that I've seen him elsewhere. So yeah, I went and I bought them and brought them home. Then when I went to get another one, another two pack for another workbench, um, I realized that what had happened is that they ship in two packs. It has an, an outer sort of um, plastic that the, the reps there are supposed to take off and then sell them individually. <laughs> so I accidentally got two for the price of one and that's the genesis. So now, you know, the Walmart's everywhere. They're all they're all separated. So I can't get another set. So hopefully these mats last me a long time. I'll have to check because I go in the sewing section a fair amount because my wife has a cricket. And so uh, yeah, yeah. I'm always excuses, looking excuses. for little gifts and things there. But I don't think I've ever seen the purple mat there. I do have one more question about the mat that I'm sure people want to know. Why is it upside down? Oh, it's upside down simply because I don't like the the logo in shot so i have it upside down so it's like li- the least uh, obtrusive okay. as possible so basically when i zoom in you don't see it at all but it's just i've upgraded my rig to have a little bit more of a wide angle for a lot of the the bigger things so you do see it on, on occasion but generally when i'm doing more close-up work you don't see it so it's not distracting so i always thought because the mat company is called unique i thought you just turned the mat upside down so that you would be unique I mean, that sounds way deeper, so let's do that one. <laughs> okay, let's go with that. We can edit this later. No, we edit nothing except for my 17 mistakes at the beginning of the video. And my 18. <laughs> okay, so I have a question for you. You may have heard this before. But let's say that you get a government grant with a large source of funds, and they tell you that you can start any sort of business you want, but it can't be anything like a makerspace. Oh, no. What kind of business do you start? Oh, I just go with the hookers and blow at that point. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and then, you know, go ahead and waste the rest of it. <laughs> um, oh, geez. Um, it cannot be a makerspace. That's because that's... I feel like that's too easy. I feel like we've all we've all come somewhere down the makerspace, you know, trail. So, yeah. 
It has to be okay, but it has to be education for me. So that's fine. Um, basically, in um, in university, I um, I took a criminology program with a psychology minor. Now, don't get too excited. I didn't finish it because I got the job teaching at the college, which is basically my dream job. So yeah, I didn't I didn't finish it. I I'm, you did mention that and you, you mentioned that you were doing something in the social sciences in your two year ago update video. Yeah. So it's a it was a um it. I was, I'm five years into a four-year degree, and I'm not even done. So take it as you will. I'm a shitty student. Um, but one of my classes, I was tasked with putting together like a program. Basically, it's, uh, it's to learn how to basically pitch the government for program uh, money because that's what criminologists do is they basically try to make other people's lives better. But the only piece, people who would fund it is a government agency because nobody cares about justice for criminals. So anyways, my plan was to open a garage and teach uh, at-risk youth during the day, like uh, people that, you know, drop out of school or have uh, drug issues or parent issues or whatever. I would take them into my shop and I would teach them the trade. And basically the idea is that maybe if they saw something in them, like a set of skills in them, like from a mentor or they had positive influence um, in their lives, maybe they would, you know, pick something great like being an electrician or something because, you know, being a mechanic sucks. But, and then after hours, like like from 5 p.m. p.m. on, I would probably uh, do the same sort of thing, but with um, people who were um, coming out of prison or people who um, basically had no skills to support themselves or whatever. So that kind of thing so my shop would run basically like a like a charity almost, but but not quite, where we'd fix people's car and I would mentor people and whatever. Because don't forget, when I went to university, my goal was still to be some sort of educator. I love teaching people things. So I think that's the kind of business that I would do. Something like a nonprofit um, sort of like skill sharing type. Oh, Skillshare. Maybe they want to sponsor the podcast. But anyways, I digress. Um skill sharing sort of um teaching thing that's that's probably what i would do that's fun i like it uh yeah when worst comes to worst you can open up a chop shop if it doesn't work out and and use it for breaking down cars yeah because these these people would have great connections right yeah exactly exactly so i do have one more uh sort of youtube question for you and uh i know you've got a lot of awesome projects coming up that you're not ready to get into but one of the things that kind of excites me, and uh, I, I did a little uh, homage to uh, Top Gear, but I, you've got your multimeter gauntlet that you created. I'd love to know a little bit about how that came about and kind of where you see that going. Because I love watching reviews of that stuff, but so much of it is subjective. Like uh, Pile of Stuff did a, a great review on a clamp meter uh, earlier in December. And, you know, it was really cool to see him go into work and to test these different things, but he's testing a single multimeter. Uh, you're building something so that you can get some concrete information on how these things work. And I'd love to hear a little bit about how that came about and kind of where you see that going. Yeah. So basically it started because, uh, Kai Wheats, which is a company I hadn't heard of, approached me about doing a multimeter review. And, I mean, for me, um, getting a free multimeter is one thing, but I've got a ton of multimeters. And um, so I was like, well, whatever. Maybe my viewers would like to see see it. And, and honestly, they seem like really nice people. 
in the emails. I wasn't too like excited about it. Like, eh, another, I kind of looked it up, another multimeter that kind of looked like a Transformers, you know, that had a bunch of plastic all over it and whatever. I was like, okay, whatever, send, send it in. And they sent it in and then, um, and I actually didn't do a review of this meter yet. So that's coming in. Yeah, probably actually I have done it by the time you're listening to this, but I'm looking at it and it, it's nice, but it seems very beginner centric and nothing too, too special really. So, so I was like, well, this is kind of like a mid tier, uh, multimeter. It's kind of like, there's nothing special about it. The price isn't very special. It's not expensive, but it's also not very cheap. And I was like, man, how do I even test a multimeter? Like, do I just go and like shove it into the prong? Like I've seen a lot of people do like, I can do the, the usability. I can like turn the dial and I can look at the leads, but I mean, that's not that interesting to me because I mean, I'm not a difficult person, kind of like anything is fine. And then I was like, well, what if it's inaccurate? Cause a lot of people tell me, you know, I can't use my mastercraft multimeters. Mastercraft's a Canadian company. It's Canadian tire. Basically it's their house brand. They tell me all the time. I can't use my mastercraft meters because they're so inaccurate that it's like, you might as well just guess at the numbers. And I was like, ah, oh, there's gotta be a way to test accuracy. But I, like, I'm looking at Dave Jones from the EV blog. He's got like, um, like a multiple, like an, uh, uh, basically one of those, uh, resistors with multiple values that you can change the values and, you know, to buy one's like two grand. And I'm like, fuck, I'm not spending two grand on like a thing. And then I was like, well, maybe I can find some like, um, 0.1% resistors and test those because if the meter claims 0.05% accuracy and I can get 0.1% uh, resistors, at least we'll be like in the same range. Because I remember Dave Jones talking about the 0.1% resistors. Then I look on on Mouser and I see, hey, they have 0.01% resistors. These are like a serious deal. They're they're like real like laser trimmed resistors, but they're expensive. So each one of those resistors is about ten to fifteen dollars, depending on the the resistor value. And I'm like, man. 10 to 15 bucks? Like, are you kidding? So I, I put a bunch of them in my cart and I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, you know, I could do it. I could invest and then maybe I can test a whole bunch of meters and have them compete against each other, uh, which is which is coming. It hasn't been done yet because I have to figure out the point system. But I was like, okay, so maybe I'll try to make this. But first, let me pitch it to Kai Wheats, who sent me two meters by then. They had sent me a second one. Um, I'll pitch it to them. See if they stand behind their product enough to pay for me to build um, a multimeter gauntlet to, to test their multimeter with. Because if they're not confident that their meter is going to be accurate, then what's the point of me like testing it and telling people, yeah, it's pretty good because it feels good in the hand. But 45 minutes after I sent them the proposal, they're like, yeah, do it. And they sent me money. And so I was so like, awesome. yeah, I know. And so I was like, well, now I need to find out if they're bluffing. And now I'm excited to do a multimeter review because what if this thing is actually as accurate as their leaflet says? What if this meter 
is not just a Chinese rebrand. What if this meter is super good? So, ordered the parts, built the gauntlet, tested the meter. Sure enough, the thing is so accurate, it's incredible. So this multimeter that I had zero hopes for, but not zero hopes, I wasn't, basically I wasn't expecting a lot from it, especially for its price range, because I think the the meter, the first meter I tested is, uh, I think it's like 50 bucks or something. It's extremely cheap, 50 bucks regular price. And, and sure enough, this meter is super accurate. And now I have this testing device that I can use for other multimeters. And by the way, for those of you who doubted, I tested my Mastercraft multimeter and it's actually really not bad. It's like, it's within its spec sheet as well. So that's the genesis of the multimeter gauntlet. I think that's going to be fantastic. And just, you know, for years to come, you're going to have these, you know, these actual representations of how good these meters are. And I think that could make you, you know, a de facto place that people go to find this kind of information, especially in the makerspace. I think that's awesome. Not only that, but now I have, um, I guess, a little bit of uh, how the sausage is made. Now I have a leg to stand on when I contact um, suppliers and be like, hey, Fluke. Do you think you're better than a Chinese multimeter? Better send me a meter. <laughs> That's uh, There's something you have to see. I, I might have to send you a picture of it. But uh, Harbor Freight is doing a uh, – has a giant poster. Like they're going at the throats of the big guys. And they uh, – in fact, I think they might have even gotten in some legal issues with Snap-on. But they have their $49 meter versus a $200 fluke meter. And they have a chart, just a giant six-foot-tall chart showing why theirs is better. And uh, and so it, it's kind of interesting to see how these companies are are going after fluke, and it would be really cool to uh, you know to to be able to get actual information on it. One uh, one thing just kind of popped into my mind during this is I don't think people understand when they you look at YouTubers, and even when I had 500 subscribers, people started coming to me wanting to have me take a look at projects, which is probably more for my Arduino group than anything else, but or products they wanted me to look at. Um, but I don't think people who watch these videos have any idea how much work it is for a free $50 kit or a free $30 meter or something like that. Do you want to, do you want to talk to that a little bit just to kind of educate people who think that YouTube is, you know, all about getting a bunch of free stuff? Yeah. So, well, let me tell you for the Kaiweets uh, multimeter review alone, just that one, it was about 10 hours of work. So that's, um, uh, that's testing or, or let's say doing an unboxing style um, shoot of it where you have to get, you know, obviously your angles right and everything. You have to test it. You have to do research on what it claims that it is. Um, you have to go and check its availability. You have to check its price because when you're making a, at least when I make a comparison, like should if I make a call, like should you buy this, the price is a big factor because if it performs really well, but it's seven times the price as its competitors, then it's not worth it. So you have to check it, its price and its competitors' price. Like, what can you get for the same amount of money? Then you have to uh, so shoot all that, edit all that, uh, and then you have to upload it. You have to shoot a thumbnail, edit the thumbnail, upload it. You have to do tagging. You have to do um, like you have to add it into your regular workflow. You also have to communicate with the company. I think I have about mm, 40 or 45 emails back and forth with Kai Wheats. Um, 
you know, I have to also write long, basically essays telling them that if they're sending me this, I get to be honest. They don't get to do any edit editorializing of my content. They don't get to editorialize the title. They don't get to editorialize anything, basically. The only way I would ever let them, let any company editorialize my stuff is if I would do a show off of their product. So like if I wasn't reviewing it, I was just showing people what it can and can't do, then they would be allowed a, a light touch. But so far, I haven't even gotten any of those because in order for me to do basically a commercial for them, they would have to pay me enough that the that upsetting some of my subscribers is worth it. So I haven't I haven't even done any of those. So yeah, it's yeah. it's about ten hours I think of of work, and obviously this is a like fifty fifty two dollar multimeter. So yeah, so I worked for like five dollars five dollars an hour on something I didn't really need. Right, I don't need another multimeter. So yeah, yeah, I did that uh, thirty five hundred dollar zero plus uh, logic analyzer, which is a fantastic device and zero plus is just such a joy to work with and stuff like that. But it was, I mean, it was months to learn how to use that device and, you know, and to do it justice. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of, a lot of reviews of that product where they just hook it up to an Arduino, do a little bit of serial data and call it a day. Um, I really wanted to learn how to use it. And, and it's, it wasn't that it wasn't user friendly, but it's, it's a complicated subject. And, uh, yeah, it took me months to kind of get a good enough handle to where I felt like I could talk about it and not, sound like a complete moron um you know and yeah i'm the same way i would never let anybody choose to uh you know edit my content stuff the one thing i have started doing and is i have allowed the company to see the video primarily for in case i say something factually inaccurate um you know the i did a video turning a raspberry pi into a thinks canary and the uh the canary people had a little bit of an issue with my take on it and uh, and didn't think I was fair on the pricing and a few other things. And I asked them to send me some documentation, you know, where it wasn't the price that I had taken from their website. And, you know, we, that's kind of where that ended. But I have had a couple of companies, more of me trashing their products, uh, you know, come back to me and, and, and want to have an opportunity to editorialize things. Uh, Backblaze, I get nonstop um critiques from people who love backblaze and don't like my video trashing that so uh but is that backblaze or is that the just the people watching it in the beginning i got a little bit of pushback from backblaze uh from i guess i'd say some employees from backblaze uh but i mean they weren't able to help solve my issue you know my the, the very quick version of that story is backblaze is a backup service that pushes itself as a set it and forget it backup and uh i said it and started to forget it and then realized that it wasn't actually backing up my files because it was stuck on one file and uh so i spent a week going through their tech support trying to get them to uh to back up my files properly and they just never got it to work and uh and there's some design choices that they made that just in my opinion were poor design choices and so i made a video pointing those things out and uh and there's a lot of people who push back on that video but uh the fact is uh, there's just as many people in the comments saying yeah it didn't work for me or they deleted my files or just you know all that kind of stuff so obviously you know, it, it is kind of funny when people take a YouTuber's opinion that serious. Uh, people get pretty riled up about that particular one. Especially a small YouTuber. That's on the Develop with Dan channel, isn't it? 
I I'm not sure. I think it might be on my another maker channel, but uh, it could be developer Dan. I, I really don't know. Uh, yeah, it, it it gets a fair amount of videos for what it is, you know, for being a ten minute rant. And I was pretty harsh, you know. I, my opinion was I don't think anybody should use it, uh, and I really believe that because they made some decisions that the very quick version of it is they force you unless you go through a lot of hassle to back up your C drive. And a lot of people don't want to back up their C drive. And the problem with backing up your C drive is if a file is in use, the way their software is set up is it will stop backing up the entire queue because it's waiting for one file. I don't know why they never figured, hey, let's just move on to another file and live to fight another day. But they literally stop the backup process if they can't back up a single file. And so it doesn't take much to bork the whole system. And it, I mean, I write software for a living. That is a stupid decision. Like it just is. And, you know, so yeah, it's uh, a little bit of controversy, but it's fun. It's, uh, you, I get some, I'll say I don't have another video on any channel that gets the, the kind of harsh comments that that one gets. Uh, so See, that, that's kind of fun. I don't understand because if they wanted to hire somebody to make their software better, you would probably charge them something like 10 grand to go through their code and come up with the same stuff. So you're basically doing like a, a consulting job for them for free. And for some reason, they're not just paying you for it. Well, and it goes beyond that. In talking to the people at the company, there are some of those things are design choices. They want the data on your C drive. Um, <laughs> they just want to have it. And there are some decisions that they made. Uh, I talked to the people who wrote the code, and it's it's not accidental. Like it is intentional that some of those things are the way they are. Now, I found out later that there is a way to to prevent it from backing up the C drive, but it's not documented. And in a week of talking to people in support saying that there was a file stuck on my C drive, they never told me how to do it. So, you know, it, it just, it's just ridiculous to me. Um, yeah, they, it's sort of like, I, I kind of liken it to the fact that they have an Apple complex. You know, Steve job basically said that you're going to have the iPhone that we say you're going to have. And, you know, the attitude that the developers conveyed to me was th the CEO basically says, you're going to have this product and we're going to tell you what's best and that's it. And what's best is to back up your C drive. And they think that I'm not smart enough to decide I don't want my C drive backed up. That's really interesting. You know, um, do you ever watch Linus Tech Tips at all? I do. Okay, so they're also a big inspiration for me. Like when I want to up my, my quality game, I'm looking, you know, in their direction. Um, they did a secret shopper uh, two years ago where they bought systems from like eight different uh, vendors and then they judged it. They basically used an employee that wasn't a computer person to order them. And then they like, you know, did, did some, they unhooked some of the RAM to see how tech support would deal with it. And they also ran it through benchmarks, see how much you get for your money and et cetera. And they just did another more recent one. I think it would be really interesting for you as a coder to do a sort of um, a sort of undercover secret shopper thing like that as well for stuff that you understand well and see which companies do it the best. I'm not sure if because obviously I know nothing about programming, so I'm not sure if that's uh, that's something that that you could see it as a possibility or if it's completely undoable. But it would be interesting. 
I love that. I had a, this is just kind of a little side story. Yeah, along those lines, like I had a, uh, I used to build custom PCs and ship them all the time. And, uh, and UPS just absolutely smashed one of the PCs that I had shipped. Um, and in the process, uh, when the person was shipping it back to UPS for the warranty service, somehow the computer wound up at my door. And so I had the computer that was damaged and I called UPS to ask if they were going to cover the warranty claim. And they said, no, um, they said they have to do an investigation on it. And so, I mean, I know the entire time the computer's sitting right next to me. So they're telling me, okay, we're going to do, uh, you know, we're going to do an investigation on it. We'll get back to you. And then they're like, you know, they get back to me couple days later and they're like yeah we're looking at it and uh it's really clear that you didn't pack it right and blah 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 and i was like well take pictures of it and send them to me you know i want to see i want to see how i didn't pack it right and they're like no we don't really do that kind of thing i was like okay well ship me the computer back then and uh we'll forget the warranty claim i just want my computer back and uh, and finally they wound up you know they never admitted that they didn't actually physically have the computer um and they wound up just paying me off but it's yeah support Support has always been bad, and it's it feels like it might be getting a little bit worse. I would love to, I'd love to do that. I think it's a lot of fun. That is so sleazy. That's incredible. I have a, I have another video idea for you. I know this is supposed to be about me, but you know you're interesting, so I got you here. Um, and I'll even fund this if you want to. I'll help fund maybe. Um, there is a series of videos on YouTube that a lot of people have tried where they go on Fiverr. Do you know about that website? Oh, yeah. So they go on Fiverr and they hire somebody to do something that they can already do. And they compare the price brackets like they hire someone at five bucks, at 10 bucks, at 20 bucks, at 100 bucks. And then they like compare the job that they've done. I would be so interested in a uh, Fiverr software dev, for example, if you going over their code, what they've done for five bucks or 10 bucks or 100 bucks. I love that. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. You know, I, to be honest, on my channel, I do one of my New Year's resolutions is to get away from the product reviews. Like I have a lab full of stuff and I give away as much stuff as I could physically give away. So, I mean, I might if I find a product that's really interesting, uh, I may still do it. But for the most part, I want to I want to get back to doing more projects and more things that I find fun. Like I love the investigative idea. Um, just some more creativity. Uh, I've, I've looked at enough Arduino kits. I might, you know what? I might do the same. Maybe we should make a pack to do a Fiverr video. Cause maybe I get, um, someone on Fiverr to make boards and then I'll order them through PCB way or something. Yes. I love it. And just put it together and see if it actually works. Yeah. That'd be great. I think that'd be fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. Gotta do it. So, uh, Tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, well, um, this podcast at the moment, you can find me right here on any platform that you want. I actually jumped through the hoops and got the podcast onto Google Play, uh, Google Play Music, I think it is now, uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, I've got Anchor. I've got lots of places you can listen to the podcast. So that's a great place. But in order to reach me, though, uh, you would really have to go to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash simple electronics, not simply electronics. There's no offense with the simply electronic, but you know, when I made my name, I wasn't thinking and it's very similar. So yeah, don't accidentally subscribe to him. If you want to subscribe to him, go and purposely subscribe to him. Um, you can also find me on Patreon, patreon.com slash simple electronics. If you just 
like to support what I'm doing, uh, don't feel obliged. I've got uh, 20-ish uh, patrons, and they're really nice people. So I'm not going broke doing this, uh, but it's also not paying for even the equipment buy-in. So, I mean, it, it just is what it is. Um, and also, I mean, it's the holiday season. Spend the money on your family. Don't don't spend it on me. But what you should do, though, is go over to another maker's channel because I'm sure he wouldn't do it for you or tell you to do it. Go on his channel, hit that subscribe, type in the comment section that you've uh, heard of him from the end of my podcast, which is going to be a very small selection of you people. So we'd like to you hear from you. saints if you make it this far. And yeah, that's uh, that's about it. Those are, the, those are the best places. Oh, you can find me on Twitter these days too. Uh, I think it's at YouTube underscore simple. Yeah, that was an unfortunate choice, but it is what it is. Well, I want to say, you know, it, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity, and I'm I'm hope that the people who are listening to this are uh, are excited to learn new things about you and learn a little bit more about you as a person. You're just you're a really cool guy, and you're more than a mechanic and a YouTuber. Like you're just a cool guy and I've really enjoyed talking to you and, and learning a little bit about you and and I am really honored to get to do this so thank you well thank you so much for saying that I'm thoroughly blushing now so and yeah thanks for spending the time and being the host you are absolutely welcome anytime thanks for listening guys <laughs>